0: Africa. Welcome to the Break Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, October 24th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. The much anticipated peace talks between Ethiopia and Tigray begin today Monday in South Africa.
1: They are now officials and uh, banners and individual government supporters are saying to disarm the TPLF. So it's not about the ceasefire, it's about disarming the TPLF take that together, I don't think there is going
0: to be any progress. We have new analysis of last week's violent protests in Chad. Lesotho's recently elected parliament may still meet tomorrow, Tuesday, despite a new election twist. An Iswatini government spokesperson accuses two unnamed so-called big countries of complicity in the killing of members of the nation's security forces. Kenya's firebrand lawyer Miguna Miguna returns home from exile, still harboring bitter feelings.
2: I have bitter feelings against Uhuru Kenyatta and Raila because these two are the ones who conspired to remove me. From my own country of patent citizenship.
0: And our fifth of ten profiles of the first annual Africa Digital Innovation Competition for the continent's startups. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley Sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The much-anticipated peace talks between the Ethiopian government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, begin today, Monday, in South Africa. The discussions, sponsored by the African Union, come at a time that Ethiopian forces supported by Eritrea appear to be making huge gains on the battlefield. Both UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres and the United States have welcomed the talks and called for an end to hostilities in the Tigray region and the withdrawal of Eritrean forces from Ethiopia. Ezekiel Gabeza is an Ethiopian-born academic and professor of history and African studies at Kettering University in the state of Michigan. He tells me that he doesn't expect any meaningful outcome from the talks in South Africa because Ethiopia is going into the talks with a hardened position to disarm the TPLF.
1: Nothing changed as far as the war is concerned or the mediators are there concerned or the issues are there concerned in that. If you look at the banners uh, that were used in Ababa by the demonstrators in support of the Indian government position, if you take that as an indication, it looks like the position of the Ethiopian government is hardening. They are now officials and banners uh, and individual government supporters are saying disarm the TPLF. So it's not about the ceasefire, it's about disarming the TPLF. No humanitarian aid under the guise of war. Outsiders out of Ethiopia, no proxy war in Ethiopia. Take that together, it looks like because the Ethiopian government now feels like they have the upper hand, I don't think there is going to be any progress. Maybe the Ethiopian government is accepting that they would prosecute the war to the point where the TPLF comes to South Africa, the political capitulates.
0: Professor, you don't sound optimistic.
1: No, I am not optimistic. Nothing really changed from the last time that we talked. In fact, positions are hardening, and I don't think the Egyptian government is going to back down when it feels like it has the upper hand. And uh, the idea from Eritrea, which is basically part and parcel of this conflict, in fact, with a decisive voice, is not in favor of uh, peacefire ceasefire right now. So I'm not, I'm not optimistic. I don't think the, the grand government is optimistic because they sent a low-level official to the uh, discussion. So I'm not quite sure that uh, any progress would be made tomorrow.
0: As I read what is coming out of the war front, it seems to me the TPLF, their fighters, they are losing a lot of ground to the Ethiopian forces. So is it fair to say that uh, the war is not going their way?
1: Yeah, one can say that, but we have seen how the... Grants actually fight. They recoil and then they snap back. From what I am observing, actually, what they're doing is they're not defending cities right now. That would be the most expensive way of using their human and material resources. So they have given up on defending cities and towns, other than that, the war is continuing, in fact, behind the lines that uh, the government claims had captured, or the lines of the cities that were captured uh, by the government... There are reports of fighting. So, yes, cities have fallen to the government side, but, you know, the Tigrans do well when they have highly mobile, highly effective forces. That's what they do best, is switching tactics rather than defending cities, That
0: towns. Ezekiel Gebessa is an Ethiopian-born professor of history and African studies at Kettering University in the state of Michigan. He was speaking with us from the city of Flint. In Chad, about 50 people were killed and nearly 300 injured when hundreds of citizens took to the streets to demand a faster transition to democratic rule this past week. Prime Minister Salih Kebba, who provided a death toll to reporters, said the government is still tallying the numbers. He called Thursday's event an armed insurrection. Human rights groups said unarmed civilians were massacred in a security force crackdown in the capital, Unjamina, and other cities. Joseph Sane is the vice president of the Africa Center at the United States Institute of Peace. Sane tells viewers Caravan Dam, it's frustrating because, in his words we saw this coming
3: in this kind of there is a total confusion generally and it is on purpose and definitely some people were armed but that does not justify using live on people on protesters you can have people can see take opportunity of this kind of movement but but we have to be careful because if the government knew that people will be armed. So if they were as good as getting that information beforehand, because they even it was so precise, because they said that 1500 young people were trained. So it means they had. If they had that intel, they could have prevented this, right? So why wait for the protest to happen and use live ammunition? This is where it's important to have an independent investigation, really, to this, to get to the bottom of it.
4: Are people frustrated because the promise for the transition to elections was pushed back by two years?
3: It is part of it, but we have to recognize that people there's pent up frustration for many years of oppression, exclusion, injustice, poverty, and also the, a real risk of a dynastic regime, right? Because let's remember, the country was ruled for more than three decades by Marisha Idris Debbie. And then now people see his son taking over. So, I mean, in addition to all the injustice and the frustration, etc., there are pent-up frustrations. And it's not just because the transition was too long by 24 months and that the son or the current president of the transition uh, has the possibility to run again, those are triggers. People really are genuinely expecting and hungry for a democratic regime.
0: That was Joseph Sane, vice president of the Africa Center at the U.S. Institute of Peace. He was speaking to my colleague, Carol Van Dem. Lesotho's Parliament elected on October 7th is scheduled to sit for the first time on Tuesday, October 25th, but that was before the country's Independent Electoral Commission, the IEC, announced over the weekend that it made an error in allocating parliamentary seats after the vote. The IEC petitioned the country's Supreme Court on Saturday to reverse the apportioned seats and to stop Parliament from meeting. The newly formed Revolution for Prosperity RFP Party 156 of Lesotho's 120 constituencies and formed a coalition with two other parties to gain a majority in parliament. Lebusi Malepani is the Lesotho investigator for the Afro Barometer Public Opinion Research Firm. She tells me that the IEC court petition will have no effect on the overall results of the October 7 elections and the new coalition government.
4: This revelation, we do not expect it to have any impact on the result of the election, because as they s- shown, they say that D.C., Democratic Congress, was allocated 11 seats instead of 8 seats, while A.D. was allocated one extra seat themselves. That still does not affect the coalition, because before A.D., Lost the seat. Overall, the coalition government was having, I think, 65 seats. So if AD loses one seat, the coalition government
0: of the three partners still holds. For the purpose of our listeners, Libusan, can you explain exactly what the Elections Commission means when it says the allocation of compensatory seats? or proportional representation these seats were they elected by the people or it is the elections commission that must choose these people
4: it is still the seats which have been elected by Basutu, because it depends on the overall number of votes which the party gets as a proportion so they are called compensatory because You get the PR seats after they have calculated. For instance, let's say on pure PR, depending on the number of votes which you get, let's say you are supposed to get 16 seats, but you now have maybe won five seats as constituency seats. Then your compensatory seats will be 16 minus 5. That is why they are called compensatory. So it's still... Basutu, who have elected. But now the difference is that it is the party list now which determines who occupies those compensatory seats. This will not affect the election result. So we still expect the parliament to sit on Tuesday and the new prime minister to still be
0: installed on the 28th. That was Lebusa Malepani, the Afro Barometer's National Investigator for Lesotho. She was speaking with us from the capital, Maseru. You are listening to Daybreak Africa. From the Voice of America, I am James Button in Washington. Today is Monday, October 24th. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. The spokesperson for the government of Eswatini, formerly Swaziland, is accusing two unnamed big countries of complicity in the recent random killings of members of the nation's security forces. The Southern African country has seen an uptick in violence since July 2021, when two members of parliament calling for democratic reforms were arrested and detained. A third parliamentarian fled the country before he could be apprehended. Students have led protests calling for the parliamentarian's release. Government spokesperson Alfias Zumalo refused to name the two big countries, but he tells me the two countries are training and providing communication tools to those who are committing the murders.
5: Remember that the killings of these security officers is being carried out here randomly by the so-called international solidarity forces, which are specifically based in a certain country. Even as I am talking to you right now, the officers of the organization who carried out these atrocities in this country appeared in a foreign country where they made their mission clear and they disclosed how they actually coordinated and executed the operation. They are not in the Republic of Mozambique. They are not in the Kingdom of Eswatini. They are not in the Kingdom of Lesotho or the Kingdom of Morocco. Neither are they in the United States of America. But they are somewhere and you do know where they appeared and made a press statement. That is where they've been given sanctuary. That is where they've been given the infrastructure, even to communicate, to mobilize against the Kingdom. That is where they have been protected and given sanctuary by a, one of the two big countries.
0: Is it fair to say that one of the two big countries is South Africa that your government is referring to?
5: I've never mentioned those two big countries. Both in my article and in this particular interview I'm doing with you, unless you are informing me that you know better which are those two
0: big countries. If you don't mention them... Is it fair to say that perhaps your government is seeing its own shadow on the wall because there have been these months of instability in your country?
5: We don't talk to shadows, neither do we see any shadows. We are talking about the reality that is unfolding on the ground.
0: Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to speak with you.
5: Thank you very much,
0: my brother. fears Zumalo is the spokesperson for the government of Eswatini. He was speaking with us from the capital, Mbabane. Kenya's firebrand lawyer, Miguna Miguna, says he still harbors bitter feelings towards former President Uhuru Kenyatta and opposition leader Raila Odinga for their alleged roles in what Miguna calls his forced removal from his own country. Miguna was accused of treason and expelled from Kenya in 2018 after he administered a marked swearing in of opposition leader Raila Odinga as the people's president. Following Kenya's 2017 controversial presidential election, Meguna, who returned home last Thursday from exile in Canada, tells me that he will only abandon such feelings if Kenyatta and Odinga are held to account in a court of law. He also says he's happy to be back home.
2: Since I was forcefully exiled, the country is exactly the same way that I found it, except that the despots that removed me from here are gone from power. They are still in existence and in circulation. They have not been apprehended. The political situation is different uh, because we have a new administration, a new regime. But as for the country, it's exactly the same.
0: So you say you were forcefully removed from your own country. Uh, Councillor, do you hold any better feelings towards anyone, individual in particular, or the government institution?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, I can't deny that... that um, I have bitter feelings against Uhuru Kenyatta and Odinga because these two are the ones who conspired to remove me from my own country of birth and citizenship and who destroyed my house and who detained me legally and who blocked me from coming back home. So for me to say that I don't have a feeling of some bitterness would be to lie because I would only stop that feeling if they were held to account.
0: So how do you suppose they should be held to account?
2: Well, what they did are criminal acts, and in a country governed by the rule of law, those who commit criminal acts should be apprehended, tried, hopefully convicted, and sentenced in accordance with the law. So that's the way they should be held accountable. Uh, You know, in the Constitution of Kenya, and in many constitutions around the world, uh, torture is not allowed, and they have subjected me to torture for five years, and so they should be held to account for that.
0: As you know, Councillor, you were accused of treason for your role, allegedly now, in commissioning the mock swearing-in of then-opposition leader Raila Odinga as the people's president. That's what you were deported, your own reaction.
2: First of all, Mr. bati the word deported is wrong in law. You cannot deport a citizen from his own country. So the word deported, you have to remove that from your head. The word is forced exile. If you are in the United States of America, if there is an American citizen who has committed a crime, they are arrested and taken to court. They are not taken to Turkey. They are not taken to Kenya. They are not taken to Ghana. You don't remove a citizen from his own country because of allegations of criminality. You apprehend them, you charge them, you prosecute them.
0: Counselor, what are your plans now? And Would you accept a job in President Ruto's government?
2: Uh, My answer, which I gave two days ago, remains the same. One, a citizen doesn't have to do anything else but to live in his own country. I don't have to do anything else other than exercise my rights bestowed on me by the creator and uh, by the fact that I'm a human being and by the constitution. So just breathing the air and just walking around as a free man is good enough. Two, I am now allowed to continue with everything I was doing before. I will be practicing law. I can practice politics. I can also hold public office if I am appointed to one. But it depends on the one that I'm appointed.
0: That was lawyer Miguna Miguna of Kenya who returned home after five years in exile. He was speaking with us from the Kenyan capital Nairobi. The U.S. Africa Business Center of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is holding its first Africa Digital Innovation Competition for Africa Startups. VOA is working as a media partner with the Africa Business Center on the initiative. Out of 17,000 candidates in 50 countries in Africa, the top 10 finalists have been decided. And for the next two weeks, we'll bring you a look at each one. Today, we hear from Olubenga Ogunbowale of Nigeria
6: startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way africa does business through innovation and technology from agriculture telecommunication health and so many sectors. young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the african economy big business is watching and ready to support through the 2022 africa digital innovation competition The U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators, chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West, and Southern Africa. The Voice of America interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them.
7: My name is Ulubunga Guguale, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Grandmaster, I'm 32 years old, I'm from Nigeria, uh, Grandmaster is based in Ibadan, Nigeria. I applied for the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition because the coaching, the peer and the prize money, will help us to support more SMEs, create more jobs you know, for more writers, and essentially scale our services across um, Africa uh, so that we can help more SMEs to attract the funding they need to grow. I mean, it meant a lot to me to be one of the top 10 finalists. I feel I'm energized and inspired uh, to essentially help more businesses across Africa attract the funding they need to grow and scale and make a difference. Funding gap in Africa alone, is, in sub-Saharan Africa, is about $330 billion. And when SMEs are unable to attract funding, what happens? Unemployment rises because people lose their jobs. SMEs are unable to grow. The economy wasn't, and this is the problem that we're trying to solve at Grandmaster. We're trying to connect SMEs to funding. We provide them grant opportunities, and then connect them with vetted grant writers so we'll help them put together coherent, cohesive grant proposals that can help them attract the funding they need to grow and scale. So that's what we do at Grandmaster. We're like the Uber for grants. Over the next three years, we intend to help 1,000 SMEs um, attract grant funding to the tune of $10 million uh, enabling them to create uh, not less than 11,000 jobs and of course this would enable them to lift at least 250,000 Africans out of poverty. Our work at Grandmaster empowers businesses to hire people so therefore we create jobs uh, we, we lift the economy, we empower the economy by virtue of our work so it's a ripple effect We think the competition would be a huge boost for our work for our mission and our vision to become the fundraising backbone for impact-driven organizations because when we are able to empower SMEs, that means more jobs, that means the sick get the care that they need, that means the unemployed are able to get jobs, that means more vibrant businesses are able to go to the next level.
0: That was Oluwenga Ogumboale of Nigeria. His company is one of 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups, organized by the U.S. Africa Business Center of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We
8: begin the sports with athletics. Kenya's keyboard Kandi is the new Valencia half-marathon champion. Kandi on Sunday reclaimed the title he lost last year after crossing the finish line in 58 minutes 11 seconds ahead of Ethiopia's Yomit Kalicha who clocked 58 minutes 32 seconds while another Kenyan, Daniel Matieko, was third in 58 minutes 40 seconds. In basketball news, Abidjan Basketball Club of d'Ivoire and Stade Malien of Mali on Sunday secured the two tickets from Gu- a for the elite 16 round at the Basketball African League Championship at the Palace 9 Julia Arena in Niamey, Niger. ABC closed the four team qualifier with a perfect 3 0 record after beating Elian Cotton of Bene 89 56, while Stad Malian beat host A.S. Nejlek 82 55. A.S. Nejlek closed the qualifiers winless in three games. And onto some beach soccer news, the defending champions Senegal secured their place in the semifinals of the fifth edition of the Beach Soccer Africa Cup of Nations Mozambique 2022 after beating Egypt 6-4 on Sunday in Villanculo With the triumph, the Lions of Senegal now have six points, following Uganda in second with three points and Egypt with one point and Madagascar with no points from two games. The Senegalese can go all the way if they beat their Ugandan counterparts on Monday in the third and final day of the group stage. Egypt and Uganda are also hoping to seal their passage to the next round. In female football news, World Soccer governing body FIFA on Saturday conducted draws for the 2023 Women's World Cup that will be co-hosted by Australia and New Zealand. The four African nations at next year's FIFA Women's World Cup have landed in tough groups at the tournament, with nine-time African champions Nigeria, who have featured at every edition of the tournament playing Australia, Republic of Ireland, and reigning Olympic gold winners Canada. Banyana Banyana of South Africa, who won their first African title in the recently concluded CAF Women's African Cup of Nations, will face tricky opponents in Group G as they will battle Sweden, Italy, and Argentina. And that's it on this Monday's edition of Daybreak African Sports. I am Samson Omale
0: in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, October 24th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for beginning your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James in Washington, wishing you will have a great week.